The following audio is from All Saints Church. For more information about the church, please visit our website at allsaintsgb.org. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes to us from Isaiah 40. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but... They who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God, we thank you for your word, the story of your grace. So one of the places in my life where God's work of transformation by the gospel of grace appears to be moving at a snail's pace is this place. Waiting in line. Waiting in line. So God's skillful sense of humor was not lost on me last week when he chose a place to exercise my waiting muscle. Where was that place? Hobby Lobby. It's a place that I already struggle with when it comes to efficiency. Why won't they convert their checkouts to use digital scanners? Why do they have to punch everything in by hand? Things would go so much smoother, Hobby Lobby. See, see, I'm still a work in progress. I'm getting impatient already. But I'm also stubborn. Uh, when it comes to shopping, when I get into a store, I'm stubborn when it comes to grabbing a shopping cart. Because I won't, if I know I'm only grabbing a couple things, I won't grab a shopping cart. It saves me money, right, Bliss at Aldi? I don't buy unnecessary things. But it also saves me some time. I can just grab it and go. And I knew the lobby of hobbies on the first week of December was going to be busy. So I would just run in and out. Did I mention it was the first Saturday in December? So I grab the five pillar candles, the five pillar candles for Advent. And yay, they're 40% off. Yay. And I made my way to the registers with my candles. Advent candles. Remember? Advent. Which began the next day. Advent, the season of waiting for the coming of the Savior King. And I held Advent in my arms as I approached the 12 checkout lines that were completely jammed with people. And in an instant, Hobby Lobby and I became rivals. As I watched the cashiers type in every customer's single items in front of me and painfully held the Advent candles in my arm. Curse you, Hobby Lobby! The Advent wax was melting heavier in my arms with each 10-minute block that would pass, and I would slowly make my way to the register. Don't you care about your customers, Hobby Lobby? 
And I finally got to the end. My turn. About 25 minutes later, as my arms felt the relief of laying the Advent candles on the register counter. Oh, no. I forgot my tax-exempt card. And they don't keep their records on computers. Never mind, never mind. There's people behind me in arm pain as well. No, let's just get through this. And as I pulled my credit card out quickly from the device, her register receipt tape runs out. I'm like, wait, wait, what? And she says to me, you're going to have to wait until I check out the next customer before I can give you your receipt. Oh, hobby, lobby, you make me wait. Why? My human, sinful heart does not deal well with slowness, particularly slowness that in my estimation doesn't have to be that slow. How about you? Checkout lines in Hobby Lobby or Aldi? Uh, the intersection lights at Ash- on Ashland Avenue? Oh, they get me waiting. Yeah. Going Just 70 miles an hour on I-41? First world minor waitings measured in minutes. But what about our major waitings that are measured in decades? A physical suffering that you've experienced that's on year 10. A spiritual sin struggle that you've battled or a trauma that you've experienced and it has not been overcome and you're on year 20. An injustice in the world that you painfully feel, which is on year 30. Maybe a stubborn, unchanging spouse, which is on less than happy 40th anniversary. Where are you waiting And what do we say to ourselves in those waitings? More importantly, what do the waitings say about God? Set the scene again in Isaiah 40. It's the beginning of Isaiah part 2, Isaiah 40 is, which was written a couple hundred years after part 1. And God, throughout the whole book, has promised to save sinners through a servant. And the people of God, who he promised this to, in part one, have shown themselves to just trust the nations around them to save them instead of God. And so where, naturally, are they now? At the start of part two, they're in Babylon. They're in exile. They're far from home under the house arrest of the most powerful nation of that time. And the people are waiting to see if God will help them and act and get them out of the mess that they have made. Isaiah, in the first part of chapter 40, has answered the people's first two questions. The first one was this. Does God want to save us? Because we're rebels. Does he really want to save us? And God in the beginning of Isaiah 40 says, Yes, I do. I so want to save you, my people. I want to gather you like lambs in my arms, he says. The second question they ask, Well, I know you want to, but 
Look at Babylon. They're huge. They're big. Can you even save us? And God says, look at me, the incomparable God to any little grasshopper nation. Of course I can save you. And now he's anticipating, Isaiah is, their final question. When will you save us? When will God save us? Because there is nothing like God being slow on the scene and his people having to wait that causes us to question God's love for us. When we have to wait, we question God's love for us. Is God slow because he's tired like us? Is God slow because he's tired of us? And Isaiah puts their complaint like the ones I murmured in the checkout lines against Hobby Lobby. He puts it on display in verse 27 as he says, Why do you say regularly, Jacob, why do you speak regularly, Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Even though these people have God's name of promise on them, Jacob, Israel, they are believing two things. First, God doesn't see my suffering. That's what you see in that first complaint. My way is not is hidden from the Lord. My, my thorny way, it's not being noticed by God. And if he does notice, the number two on the waiting list, he's doing nothing to change my circumstances. My right is disregarded by my God. It basically means my cause, my deserving a fair trial. God has moved on from me with a cold like DMV next. And Isaiah is saying, oh, there could be nothing further from the truth. Isaiah's word to them, to you, to me this morning is this, wait, wait, wait in hopeful expectation for your creator is going to carry you home. Wait. Two questions we want to ask about waiting. Two things Isaiah wants to answer for us about waiting. And we'll use the contemporary expression, wait, what? Which is what I said when her receipt tape ran out. Wait, what? Wait, what? Because in order for waiting to be worth the wait, there needs to be a what. What are we waiting for? And there also needs to be a compelling, even a surprising reason behind the waiting. So the first point is this. Wait, what? The creator is like none other. Look with me at verse 28. Isaiah says, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He doesn't grow faint or weary. His understanding is unsearchable. The prophet responds to their concerns. You know what God doesn't see, and if he does, he's not doing anything. He responds with two questions. Have you not known, and have you not heard? Have you not known has to do with getting getting something or understanding something by using your own senses. And so he says to them, have you not known with your own eyes, ears, all of that, what God has already done? And have you not heard, which many maybe wives in this room might be familiar with, hearing? You know, it has to do with not only hearing something, but listening to what is being said to you. Are you listening to what I'm saying? You ever found yourself saying that to your kids or your husband? You might be hearing me, but are you listening to what I'm saying? And that's what Isaiah is saying. 
people of God have amnesia. They've unknown and unheard everything which God has shown them through the scriptures and through their history about his love for them. Waiting tests our faith to believe what we know to be true about God. And what is true about our God? He's nothing like you. He's nothing like you. Isaiah goes on to describe four characteristics which make God like no one else. And the first is this. He says, the Lord is the everlasting God. First thing we need to know is that God is limitless in time. He has a wide view of time, far in front of your future and far behind your past. Everlasting. The longer you wait for something, the more you start to believe what you're waiting for will never come. But if God is everlasting, if he's limitless in time, it makes our long line or our long suffering seem like a nanosecond. A wise woman, about 25 years my senior, would often say to me, Chad, you know what? Life is like a roll of toilet paper. The closer to the end of your life or the end of the roll you get, the faster it comes off. Meaning this, the more time a person's had on earth, the faster Christmas comes. Older people, can you say that? Yeah. The faster it will be summer again. God's vantage point of everlasting makes our present suffering go by like that. The Lord is the everlasting God, limitless in time. The second characteristic which makes God like none other is he is the creator of the ends of the earth. The Lord is limitless in space. What he's trying to communicate here is, like an artist, God is outside of the canvas of creation. Like an author, he's outside of the book covers. He knows what the canvas looked like before any paint hit it. And he knows what the canvas will look like once it has reached his masterful completion. My mother-in-law is notorious for reading the last page of a book to decide if it's worthwhile to read. Read the last page of the Word of God and tell me, is your waiting worthwhile? We'll talk about that last page in a few weeks, the new heaven and the new earth, and you will see where the author is going. But in the meantime, in the waiting, believe he sees it all, not just the page or the sentence of the chapter you're currently in. Limitless in time, limitless in space. Third, he does not faint or grow weary. God is limitless in power, in energy. What happens to us in our waiting? We run out of patience. We get tired. 
We try whatever we can to change things, and no matter how much work and effort we exert, nothing seems to be changing. Maybe you've gone to many doctors. Maybe you've gone to many counselors. Maybe you've gone to many churches, and you're tired because none of those places or people have been powerful enough to change you. But the Lord, He's limitless in power. Know this, friends, he's not looking at your 20-year sin struggle or your 40-year marriage struggle and saying, I'm so tired of this. He's not going to tire of loving you, sinner. He's not going to get exhausted in saving you, sufferer. Jesus, in fact, invites the tired to his limitless power in Matthew 11, 28, when he says, come to me all who are weary, all who are tired, and I will give you rest. Limitless in time and space and power. And finally, his understanding is unsearchable, Isaiah says, which means God is limitless in wisdom. And friends, I would say this is where we have the hardest time with waiting. When we don't get it. When it doesn't make sense to us what is going on. Would you agree? But what if what you can't get, God understands completely? What if you, what you can't get, God understands fully? J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, uses the metaphor of a train station. And maybe we could modernize it to an airport. If you sat at an airport just looking out the windows of the gate of a terminal, you might see planes taking off and landing. You'd see passengers boarding and unloading. And it would all look pretty chaotic to you. There's no rhyme or reason to why all of this is and when all of this is happening. There's delays. There's people running to catch their connection. There's missed and canceled flights. There's missing and unattended baggage. And as you wait, you might become one of two people who's trying to make sense of what's going on if you've never been in an airport before. The first person you might become is the pessimist who says this. You know what? Since I can't see any master plan from where I sit, This all seems very chaotic. There must be no master plan. And there must be no master. That's what I see. You become a pessimist. Or, Packer says, you might become the wise seeker who says, you know what? I'm going to research airports, air traffic control, weather patterns, aircraft design, physics, the philosophy of air travel, business models for airlines endlessly, and maybe I can come up with my airtight conclusion to everything that's going on here in this airport. And Packer says this, the harder you try to understand the divine purpose, the unsearchable things of God, In the ordinary providential course of events, he says, the more obsessed and oppressed you grow with the apparent aimlessness of everything and the more you're tempted to conclude that life is really as pointless as it looks, you become a pessimist. But the third option is what Isaiah and what Packer argue for. The person 
described in verse 31. Those who wait for the Lord. Those who are described as faithful, as trusting. These are the contented, the contented ones in the Hobby Lobby lines. Thaddeus Williams says, happiness and security doesn't come from knowing everything. It comes from knowing the one who does. Happiness and security doesn't come from knowing everything, but from knowing the one who does. This is our response that Isaiah wants as we come to grips with believing. You, creator, are like none other. Which is this, wait, what? Wait, what? The creator calls you to save your strength. The creator calls you to save your strength. Save your strength, save your strength. I'm saying two different things. Do you hear the difference? Not yet, maybe? Look with me at verses 29 to 31 to hear it. He, Isaiah says, this God who is limitless in time, space, power, wisdom, he gives power, all that he is, to the faint to those who are worn out by trying to figure out all of this, and to him who has no might. Those are those who admit, I'm not the creator. I am not. I am. I am so limited in my understanding. To those people, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. What he's doing there is he's reminding the people that there's no human being, even the fittest iron man who doesn't need to sleep at night, who can't remain awake all the time. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The creator is calling you to save your strength. Save your strength. You can't get home. You can't get out of your Babylon on your own. Save your strength. You can't see the future. Save your strength. You can't change your past. Save your strength. You can't write the end of your story. Save your strength. You're going to exhaust yourself trying to do that. Instead, the call is to become weak in waiting. To become someone who waits for the Lord. That description is a participle. It means they who wait for the Lord. These are people types. These are waiters. Those who wait for a Savior strength. The word wait means to trust, to have confidence in someone, especially in regards to the future. Patiently enduring the decades of living away from the comforts of home in confident hope that God will decisively act on behalf of his people. Savior strength has come in Jesus, and Savior strength is coming in Jesus. Friends, we live in one huge advent. As we wait for the Lord, we look back as waiters and see what he's done, and we look forward and wait for what he has done. And waiters shall renew their strength. That word renew has to do with coming up with something new or improved 
in which to find strength. To be physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually strong. Something new has to work. I can't do this on my own. I need something new. And it's not in you. And it's never in you. It is in Christ. So physically, in your body, let his resurrection from the dead be your physical strengthening. My body's going to be made new someday. They that wait upon him will live forever with him. Your mind, let his mind be your mental strength. Let the mind of Christ, who didn't consider equality with God as something he had to be and figure everything out, but took on the nature of a servant, let him, his mind serve you. His heart, his emotions, the things that bring Jesus joy, let them be the things that bring you joy, which is what, for him, a father's love made known to the world There's nothing that could give God greater joy, Jesus greater joy, than letting people know the glory of a God of love. And then spiritually, let his spirit that gave Jesus the power to do everything he did as a human be the same spirit that lives in you as a deposit which is guaranteeing the future that's to come. So what happens then in the midst of our waiting Save your strength. This is an incredible word picture of relief and freedom. Look how he describes what happens when we wait upon Savior strength. They shall rise up with wings like eagles. It basically means there's going to be no effort on your part to be where God is except by spreading your arms out and waiting to take off. You just be lifted up. Ever had one of those amazing dreams where you're flying and you're just soaring around and you're doing nothing? That's what he's saying. They that wait upon the Lord, put your arms out and look forward to the time when the wind kicks in and you go up. Like a kite that soars on the wind. Like that dream, again, like you could fly without effort. Like the dad who lifts up the kid way up into the heights. Jesus, the Savior's strength, takes you to heights you can't begin to dream. Eagle's wings. They shall run and not be weary. This is, from, this is really helpful for me. I was on the treadmill this week doing hills. Yeah, we're doing hills. And she's like, oh, we're going up to 8.0. And I'm like, I can't go up to 8.0. But what he's saying here is in Christ You can do your hills. You can wind sprint, and it's not going to feel like work at all. The things he calls you to do while you wait won't feel like work. It'll feel less like a demand and more like a delight as you're waiting upon him. Like Eric Little, the Olympic sprinter, who says, When I run, I feel God's pleasure. You don't have to work tirelessly until God is happy with you. He's pleased in Christ with you. So let the rest of your life be a sprint toward him. Run toward home. They shall walk and not faint. You will plow forward in the slower days and in the paces of life. And in Christ, friends, as you plow forward, it's going to feel like play. It's going to feel like you're having so much fun. 
Birds who are soaring on the wind are burning no calories at all. That's you. And he's called you like fishers of men, like those eagles way up high who look watchfully at the world beneath you to see people who are drowning in their limited strength. And it's calling for us to swoop down and to take them for a glide with you on the wind of God's forgiveness and freedom and forever. That's what we're here to do as a church, to soar above the world. The creator, the one who is outside the limits of the story, has stepped into the story as Savior. God saw the exiles. God saw Israel suffering, and he sees yours, and he entered into it. Suffering, enduring the consequences of sin, so you don't have to. And God did everything necessary to lift you out of your exile, your sin and your death. Lift you from the dead. Raise you up to new life. Take you home to him where there will be no more need for sleep. There will be only rest. Why wait? The, carry, the creator will carry you home. I say I hate waiting in line except one place, and it won't surprise some of you who know our family well. One place I love waiting in line is this place, an amusement park. There is such a contrast. If you've ever gone to an amusement park when there's no one there and there's no lines, it's not as much fun. It really is not. Waiting, when you're waiting in line, what happens in the waiting? It allows you to talk about what you're looking forward to. Oh, look at that part, and look at that part, or look when it does this. Like, you're anticipating what's coming. Waiting allows you to hear the sounds of joy and terror as people are riding on the ride before you. Waiting allows you to appreciate the ride in such a way as just not just hopping on and getting on. Actually, when I did that, we were at SeaWorld, I think, once, and we just got on all our... I was going to throw up after about 45 minutes because I had been on like six roller coasters. Waiting in this life allows us to strengthen our faith that the God who came to save us from death through Jesus... Is the God who is coming to save us to the best ride of our life, eternal life with him. Arms up. We're leaving soon. Let's pray. Father in heaven, as we wait upon you, as we become more and more waiters, help us to see that you give us Everything we need, God, who is without limit of space, time, power, wisdom. You give that all to us who wait on you. And when we receive that, we start to soar. Help us, Father, in our circumstances, in our life right now, to wait upon you. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ. May he be our strength, our Savior strength, today, tomorrow, until the end of time. Amen.